Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I have skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Our two-year-long project wraps up this week with my final film selection. It's from director Steve McQueen. It's 12 Years a Slave this week on Zach on Film. All right. Zach, okay. let us talk some serious stuff yes. with 12 Years a Slave. First it, time I've ever I seen mean, it. This is a, a humor movie. Is, so. No, it's not. No, just this is a This is a very <laughs> depressing movie. <laughs> and I will say that um, sometimes you think you know how horrible people can be. And then you find out a story like this a true, based on true story or uh, based on the true events. Just makes you think that, man... Humanity is like the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Just yeah. In, in general, in how people treat one another, that we are the worst. And I hope that an asteroid does wipe us all out. <laughs> hey, Zach. Yeah. I, I have one question and one comment before we really get rolling. First of all, what dark magic do you have planned for all my tears? Why uh, do you want all my just, tears, Zach? Uh, I, I have a new uh, drink. That's Three movies soon. in a row, you have broken my heart. <laughs> Okay. Secondly, I want to get this out of the way. Chewetel Ejiofor. Yeah, Chewetel Ejiofor. Chewetel Ejiofor. Yeah, I looked it up the pronunciation last week on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, I had to actually find him saying it. (laughs) Yeah, that one was that one was hard for me. So I I googled that stuff. Nice. So um, here's what happens. Yeah, run it down. A uh, northern black man who's free. Mm -hmm. This is taking place in 1841. Gets conned by these two guys to come to Washington, D.C. And while he is there, they drug him, knock him out, and sell him to slavers. Mm -hmm. And he gets uh, carted off and becomes a slave for 12 years Mm -hmm. in the South. um, Basically with one of the worst, craziest Southern plantation owners out there played by um, uh, Michael Fassbender. Fassbender. Mm -hmm. And then... In his troubles and difficulties, uh, Brad Pitt comes and saves him yes. by delivering a message to his friends in the North who come down and say, no, this this is not – he is a free man. We mm-hmm. have proof of this. Get him out of here. And then he returns home 12 years later. And all I can think of – well, there's two things that I was thinking of during this movie. The first is when is he going to break? And there is a moment where he does finally break. And the other one was I cannot comprehend – being gone away for that long and returning and your family is 
not the fam- is not mm-hmm. your family. I mean, right. I mean, yes, they're they're blood relations still, but they are totally different people from what you remember them, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. They don't know anything about him because he comes in at the end. He's like, I apologize for what I, you know, for who I am now. I forget what the last line exactly was. But I they're apologize just, for my appearance. Yeah, yeah, for his appearance. Because again, he has totally changed from when they last saw him. I just, it's so hard for me to comprehend. It's so frightening and it's so scary. And in this story, it is so, so sad. And humanity is awful. <laughs> humanity is awful. What'd you, what well, were your first reactions to it, Rodrigo? Or just overall impression? Uh, overall impression, I... I I enjoyed it. I thought, um, like, if you want to watch a movie where it very effectively doesn't end a scene, uh, mm. watch 12 Years a Slave. Like, there were a lot of times when it's like, okay, the scene's over. And then you just watch him just stand there and, like, not look at anything for, like, a minute. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot stronger for it. It's just, like, there's this sense of of despair that comes from that, of just, like... You're like, oh, something terrible just happened. Next scene, but it's like, no, the movie doesn't let you. You have to sit here and watch him be sad about this crap now. You have to look. Well, and that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the interesting thing is throughout this movie, he's like, look, he very early on learns that he needs to keep his head down and his mouth shut. But at the same time, he um, has that conversation with uh, the first woman that he's sharing the cabin with Mm -hmm. uh, because she's always upset about the children. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you got to keep, you've got to be hopeful. You got to know that this is going to be resolved and we got to keep moving on and you can't break. You can't just break down and cry. And so throughout the rest of the movie, you're just sitting there going, okay, is this the moment where he finally gives in to despair? Is this the moment where he finally accepts what has happened to him and, you know, essentially fails Mm -hmm. uh, in his mission and he does get to the point almost at the very end of the movie where, you know, he's, I don't know if he's just working on the violin or if he's getting ready to go perform or whatever it is, but the strings break and that's, that is his literal breaking point. And he destroys that violin essentially admitting that the person I was no longer exists. Right. And now I have to accept being a slave and... Then you see him working out in the field yeah. right after that. And then, of course, he gets rescued. But the other thing is there you don't know how much time transpired between those two events. Right. So uh, the violin scene comes right after a scene where uh, Epps, his final yeah, yeah. slave owner, played by Fassbender, uh, who has this uh, love relationship with one of his slaves, uh, Patsy, mm-hmm. played by uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, he... Uh, is going to whip her, but then forces Solomon mm-hmm. to yes. whip her. Mm-hmm. And it is one of... Uh, um, I mean, this scene has a couple oh, it's just strikingly... Uh, it's brutal. Uh, beautiful, beautifully horrible uh, long shots. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of them when he has to uh, beat Patsy. And yeah. then right after that uh, is when he breaks his violin. Yeah. But it's... I mean, he has gotten to that point where yeah. I, I cannot... Mm-hmm. This is I'm I am broken, mm-hmm. essentially. And then there's one more um, when you especially when you talk about the passage of time, uh, the shot right almost right before he's freed. Uh, I think it's right before he's freed, where it's just Solomon and he's sitting in front of a tree and he's like staring off screen. Mm-hmm. And it's about like a minute and a half shot. He's staring mm-hmm. off screen and then he looks directly near the camera for about 15 seconds and then his eyes dart off again. Uh, which is a powerful scene. 
And um, I read an interview where that was the last thing they shot because they were editing the film and um, they wanted to put a shot in to convey the sense of passage of time because they didn't want to put uh, like yeah. year four, yeah, year yeah. five. So they mm-hmm. didn't want people counting down in their head. Right, right. So um, they got a really small crew. It was like McQueen, uh, the editor, the cinematographer, a few of his edit uh, assistants, and then uh, Chiwetel, and they shot it out in front of their editing mm. place, mm-hmm. and that was the last thing they shot to try to get this uh, sense of passage of time in there. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, I kind of, I did kind of like that, um, that it you didn't know when these events were taking place. Yeah. Plus, it also uses a lot of flashback yeah. uh, to help tell the story yeah. and real jumps in time mm-hmm. to kind of keep you confused about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I like that a lot in the way that they, they told uh, the story mm-hmm. uh, here. Um, and what's interesting, I, I, I just thought of this, really the flashbacks all happen really early on in the film mm-hmm. where uh, um, it, it seems he has a more sense of, I'll, yeah. I'll be home eventually. I'll get there back to my kids. Or just and even remembering those yeah. events. And then as time goes on, you don't think so much about the past. You know, as we're getting closer to his breaking point mm-hmm. of acceptance. Um, yeah, it's... Which is which is interesting. Because, I mean, this is based off of Solomon Northrup's right. own book, 12 right. Years a Slave, which mm-hmm. is, uh, he published in... Uh, like 1851 1850s. or something. Um, and, I mean, that's a chronologically told story, uh, which was the way they initially went into filming 12 Years a Slave was this chronological story. Um, but when they started putting together in the edit room, they said they needed Solomon as a slave by the end of the first reel or I mean, pretty early on in the film. And mm-hmm. so that's when they started piecing together uh, the flashback portion of, of the film and putting those different scenes in uh, non-chronological order to get this, I mean, a really powerful... Uh, storytelling element. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying. I'm looking to see when the book was published. He was rescued in 1853. 1853. That's when he was That's rescued. The Did the book come out in the same year? Yes. Okay. I, the I book came, came out in 1853. Yep. 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 I. You know. I. So did did you like the movie? I did. I, I thought it was good. I'm not sure that. Um. You know, I think movies like. I'm not sure that this is something that 12 years from now or 20 years from now, people are going to look back and say, this movie was important for uh, these particular reasons. I think they'll go back and say, when we look at historical personages and when we go back and look and see um, uh, a look at a a very personal story about slavery, um, I'm not sure that people are going to go back and look to 12 years a slave. I still think people are going to go back and look at a movie like The Color Purple. Mm. for that uh, but i didn't like this movie i thought it was i thought the acting uh, above all things the acting in this movie was the best part of this movie yeah. um technically i thought it was just somewhat average from the technical side mm. uh but from the acting side blew my mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i and i loved every minute how'd of you that. guys feel i was worried when it started because uh, for me chuatel is primarily the operative from Serenity. So I go into this thinking, oh, good, you know, I, I, I have a, a character that I can, you know, kind of attach to. I know this actor. And then I'm sitting there and one of the men says something and I'm like, holy crap, it's Taron Killam. 
Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I'm just kind of like, what, what is this? Because when I see Taryn kill him, I think Jebediah Atkinson <laughs> at the, the weekend update desk. And thankfully, in some ways, they quickly squashed that for me. But, you know, the, it, it hit so hard because I went into this going, wait, what? And then all of a sudden punch in the gut. And I'm just like, this movie hurt to watch. This was a very painful experience um, in, a, in a mostly positive way. But it was really difficult to watch. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, the, the brutality that he had to yeah. endure as the character um, just – you know, just makes me hate humanity all the time. <laughs> well, and just more the, so the than casual, I do on a normal basis, but the casual treatment of the characters as less than human. That well, scene where yes. you see the mm-hmm. overhead shot and the the wagon pulls into the shot, mm-hmm. then they pull back the thing, and then they've made seven people curl up into a ball under the wagon thing, presumably so they could take them somewhere without being seen. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm just like, that's oh, Gavalt. There's there are so many moments in this film where yeah, I, I just found my fists going because I wanted to punch well, people. But, I wanted yeah. to punch the Paul Giamatti character. There <laughs> there are so many situations that clearly they make you feel the powerlessness of the character while watching the movie. And, but then and that's also, a good yes. thing. But my God, it's frustrating. Yeah, and I was also bothered by the hypocrisy uh, of the the plantation owners even in um even in well not even in epps in Um, ford Ford. yeah in ford yeah in ford i can't can't hear that i can't know that right Mm -hmm. in in just the you know uh, this idea that they are the preacher and are preaching yeah and then they're not making this connection behind you know with old testament and the jews fleeing egypt and who were slaves Mm -hmm. and what's going on right there in front of their front of their faces in their own backyard i mean that hypocrisy just bothers me to all all heck i think if it helps those guys hate jews too yes i'm sure they do um but then the then the um yeah the the benedict cumberbatch and his name was what what was his name ford 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 just he's trying to treat them nicely but it's still you you own you own them yeah you know and it's just which is uh two of my favorite scenes in the film, uh, or at least the first ones that really drew me into the film were, uh, so Solomon's on his, his first plantation at, at Ford's plantation. Right. Right. Um, and Paul Dano is one of like the overseers of the right, slaves right. who, uh, yeah, Tibbets. And if I'll say this right now, if Paul Dano doesn't win an Oscar sometime in his career, something went wrong. Cause everything I see him in, he's, he was the, fantastic. he was the lower overseer. Was, yeah. Tibbets. The uh, one that he was tried to hang him. He was yes, the one, yeah. yeah, the tried. Uh, he's also yeah. like in um, "There Will Be Blood" and oh, okay. stuff. He's in a lot yeah, of yeah. stuff. Um, it's in yeah, yeah. he was in Ruby Sparks. <laughs> was he? Um, so. There's the scene where uh, Solomon first gets there, and uh, Tibbets is making them clap to sing yeah, the song, yeah. uh, and that is like the backing, mm-hmm. mu- uh, this background music to Ford trying to give the sermon. Yeah, yeah. And then um, then the second sermon he gives is when um, uh, the woman that come came down with Solomon from, right. is like crying. Yeah. And they don't, they like can't handle that mm-hmm. she's there mm-hmm. while they're preaching. And uh, I just thought that was uh, so perfect because I think even more so than Epps, 
who certainly has uh, a, re- a religious angle to his treatment to uh, uh, the, the slaves that F- Ford tries to come across as the nice slave owner, which is well, really yeah, hard to do because the, he's a slave. The, and that's, that's what, the, yes. what the woman says, too. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, but he still owns us. How is right. that? How is that good and fair and yeah, just? Exactly. Yeah. And, and to his mind, I mean, he was fine. And so I thought that was just uh, a great way to subtly uh, point out the, uh, the hypocrisy. Like yeah. You said. And then and, and it, it kind of undermines our expectations as well, because if this were an imaginary narrative, if this were not based on real life, we would expect that Ford character to be a noble person who might do the right thing when he hears, you know, oh, I'm, I'm actually a free man. But no, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He sells him because he otherwise he wouldn't have the money to pay back the debt, which, you know, it, it, they set him up as a nice person, but he's essentially ineffectual. He's just as corrupt as anyone else in yeah. that system. And, and, and please don't uh, – I don't think any of us here are trying to be apologists for, for oh, the quote-unquote no, no, no. nice slave owners because there really weren't no. any. I mean no. – even he was I, trying yeah. to be. I, I, don't, I don't know if he was trying to be. I think he – you know, I think he was still looking at them as – you're my property. property. You're still going to do what I say. You're going to do what I tell you to do. I will do with you what I want to do, even though we don't see any of that in this mm-hmm. uh, from him, his standpoint. But he still looked at his slaves as lesser people. Mm-hmm. Or not people at all. Or I don't know if he didn't look at them as not people at all, but I think he definitely looked at them as lesser people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of uh, uh, Tibbet's trying to hang Solomon... Uh, that is the the, the scene that uh, really just nailed it for me because the I saw Shame, which was Steve McQueen's second film before this, mm-hmm. uh, also starring Michael Fassbender. All of his films do, um, and in in that movie, there are also very many long shots that make you just stare yeah. at the. Uh, uncomfortableness oh, yeah. that is on Somebody the screen at the end of their rope and trying yeah. to stay alive. Um, and so uh, when they did when they did tests of this film, they did test screeners. People said uh, the shot's too long, it, it, and Steve McQueen said no. It's 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 just right because I mean it's it is you un- it, because it, is, it was making yeah, people make uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. It is like a oh, man. It's got to be close to like a two minute it's, shot it's of Solomon time. struggling to stay on his tiptoe so he yeah. can still breathe with yeah. the rope around his neck. And the only thing you can hear are cicadas, which mm-hmm. you can hear through the entire film. Mm-hmm. Uh, him gasping, mm-hmm. his toes on the mud, and then eventually kids playing in the background. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they said a, 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 a big inspiration for that scene was when they were filming a short film down in South uh, South Africa. They were down in a in a cave, and these mine workers. Um, had always been told never to look like they don't, they don't just look at people because they aren't like supposed to acknowledge people right. or uh, like acknowledge the horrible, the horrible conditions they were in. And uh, that played in this scene where the rest of, of the workers behind Solomon don't ever really acknowledge him besides the one person who like gives them water. Mm-hmm. Everyone else goes about their lives trying to not acknowledge the mm-hmm. horribleness that is right. Well, and that even them. happened over on the Epps plantation too, mm-hmm. uh, where, He's going crazy and fastbender. My God, uh, just going loopy and you know off off the deep end. Yeah. Um, as his portrayal of of this of this cruel slave uh, plantation owner, slave owner, 
uh, was just fantastic. But again, you do see that same thing too when he is getting ready to whip somebody or beat somebody or attack somebody. Everyone else is just like, okay, time for us to go do something else to where we don't have to bear mm-hmm. witness to that. I thought was was real interesting. Rodrigo, you've been quiet. Yes, I have. <laughs> Comments, please. Uh, yeah, like I said, the like this movie, um, I think it really does a great job because um, at the very least, if you go see this movie, you are going to be made to feel uncomfortable at some point, which is yeah, yeah. the least the least emotion that you should feel mm-hmm. um, when watching this movie and when uh, perhaps... Uh, thinking about the way that this country was built, you know, on the backs of slaves and what that means for our current society and, and where that puts us as a society. Mm-hmm. So if, if all it made, like, if nothing else, the editing will make you uncomfortable, which again is the least, the smallest emotion <laughs> you should feel mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. dealing with these topics. Mm-hmm. Did, did you find the editing to be, to be good, Rodrigo? I did. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, again, it's just this is just a movie that took its time to tell its story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it needed fast edits, the edits were fast, but not crazy. Nothing like, you know, no swish pans or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it was just, um, you know, the edit, the editing is most obvious when the movie becomes longer and uncomfortable. Yeah. But, um, you know, and all the cutting back and forth, it was very clear when you were in a flashback, it was very clear or when you have like skipped in time. Yeah. Um, and it was very clear when, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, the movie um, doesn't quite cross the line for me into saying like, hey, 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 pay attention to this. This is an important part. Yeah. But the editing certainly does that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't It doesn't quite get to be annoying. I, at least it didn't for me. But it's it's very clear when the movie is pointing you at a concept. Yeah, mm-hmm. Joe Walker is the editor for this film who's worked uh, with Stephen Queen on his uh, first films. Uh, I was reading something he said, especially he talked a lot about uh, using the 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 long the long scene the long take uh he said it hunger uh which was mcqueen's first film um it's a pretty standard pace until the end where uh, there's like a 17 and a minute half shot 17 and a half minute shot of just a conversation and he talks about the necessity of making sure that next edit is perfect because it's going to be so noticeable and to build into the long shot because he said uh, what do you say? I wrote it down. He said shots in 12 years that are held for a very long time, which allow the audience to kind of invest and really study an image. But you have to balance that with a commercial sense and landscape things. So it doesn't feel like artistic indulgence, but serves the story. No, I, I no, he's absolutely right there because when we are looking at these long things where he's just sitting there and you finally see a tear roll down his eye mm-hmm. or he's contemplating, you know, what is going on. Mm-hmm. You're invested into that character, mm-hmm. right? You are the the scene that I'm thinking about right now is the one where Epps goes and and wakes him up in the middle of the night and saying, "Hey, this uh, this guy told me that uh, said that there's somebody Uh-oh. on the inside that's trying to get a letter out, and you know how this yeah. is wrong, and he's basically accusing him, and you just feel this uncomfortableness in this medium shot throughout the whole thing as as the main character is trying right. to lie his way out of mm-hmm. being murdered right there on the spot. Yep. 
And by holding it in that, by not cutting into a close-up where he is sitting there going, no, I'm, I promise, Master, it's not me that, that did this, mm-hmm. by keeping it at that arm's length from yeah. the audience, you really want to have that lean-in moment where you're like, what is going? Because it's too mm-hmm. easy to do a reaction shot of right. the close-up of you know, the one person begging for his life and then flipping it around to the other person and trying to see this weird little nuance eye shift of, oh, okay, I see what he's going at. And just mm-hmm. leaving it in that mm-hmm. wide shot that, that, mm-hmm. that, as I said, makes you lean in and want to know what happens yeah. next. There was not a moment in this movie where I was bored. Okay. There was not That's a moment <laughs> in this movie where I felt like, you know, that anything was done unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really a good film. Yeah. Uh, because... You just get like in the basics of you know film editing is you would establish with a wide shot, right, and then you start cutting in for tights for reactions as as the scene played out. And um, Walker talked; he he was an editor at BBC and did uh, docs and stuff. And he said, I don't remember what his teacher or the guy above him was, but he he said he was editing a piece one time and he started out with a three shot and then was going in for, for rea- reactions the whole time. Uh, and he says you're not getting any more from the singles than you are from keeping it as a three shot. And with the three shot, you see all the reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, at once. So you get even at once. And to, to me, uh, it, it, maybe it's just a, some of the stuff I've watched, but that feels like more, to I me, mean, to stay at the three shot is more of, uh, I mean, I've seen it a lot in, in a, a few foreign films I've seen is to hold shot longer, hold shots longer, or, uh, maybe maybe even so some older stuff we've, uh, I've watched because I mean the more you cut, uh, the more there is to process. You have to like right. shift your gaze. Right. You have to, yeah, you're not focusing on. Yeah, the thing you, you can't. So there's a difference between you know there's a difference between looking at um, the Searchers for example, which we watched on this show, and you see John Wayne just standing there, and you see these big wide vistas mm-hmm. for a couple minutes. That's fine. It's John Wayne standing there. Yeah. In. Um, in martial arts movies in China, mm-hmm. they will show those martial arts and in Korea and a lot of the other ones where you see a lot of the, the, the intense martial arts scenes. Yeah. Those are intentionally shot wide for much of the scene because right. they want to show here's this person who knows what they're doing. These mm-hmm. are martial artists doing their martial arts stuff, right? When you go and you look at a Western version of that, um, it's all really quick, fast cuts because yeah. if you left it as a wide shot, you would quickly see, oh, these people don't know what the hell they're doing, right? And yeah. you would – Or the stunt double. Yeah, the stunt yeah. double or whatever. It would all quickly fall apart. Mm-hmm. What's nice in this movie is by having a whole scene where the two characters are sitting there. One of them is accusing him of trying to contact the North and I'm going to kill you and begging for his life. You get to see that entire scene play out and it's pure acting, Right, you don't right. have to say, "Oh, I made a mistake." Okay, well, we'll just cut into a close up here. We'll 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 cut we'll cut in this part right here, so you can just pick up from this line. No, this is the whole thing, right. and so that's why I said from the acting in this is phenomenal because you do have to do this all in one take mm-hmm. uh, or multiple takes, but it's all one one sh- one shot. You're not you're gonna, not going to break it up in post, right? And that's what I that's what I think is smart about the long editing here. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Matthew, do you have anything to say about the editing? I really didn't notice the editing except That's in the good. really, That's really long. <laughs> you're supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Stephen, something that you always harked on about to us, and by us I mean 
the student you had in your class, like I, I was a few years ago, yeah. uh, the importance of storyboarding. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Rodrigo, do you like storyboarding? Nobody likes storyboarding. No. I I enjoy storyboarding only if there isn't a ridiculous deadline, yeah. um, which there usually is. So I guess technically not. But it's not yeah. because I don't like it. It's because the, I, it always seems like I would have to produce like so much so quickly. Yeah. And I, I mean, you look at a lot of films. So you can see the, the, you can the, see the, the storyboards. The point of the storyboard is to plan out your shots ahead of time. Yes. So you know whether things are going to flow together. It helps the crew understand what shot that the director is trying to get and convey. Mm-hmm. And it it can help in that pre-production process in figuring out where you're going to go forward. Yeah. And, I mean, certain directors like certain things to their storyboards. They can be very detailed or pretty vague. Um, Steve McQueen... Uh, apparently hates storyboards and doesn't do them at all. Some people don't. And he I mean, said, uh, I said a lot of it comes from, I mean, his background and how he's been, uh, what, what, what kind of uh, film stuff he's been doing. Um, but I thought it was interesting. They, so they don't storyboard at all. They show up on the day and they figure out, their, and they know their location, so they start figuring out shots that way. Because he says it feels more natural to uh, plan the shots around the location you're shooting. And he said the actors on his films, when they rehearse, they do it in like a blank space in, a, mm-hmm. in an empty room yeah. so that when they get on the set, any interaction they have uh, with a table or a chair or just anything is all just natural and not pre-planned or anything. So it seems like so like more... Fassbender trying to jump over the pig fence and falling. And falling, yeah, it was yeah. probably, you know, that was an accident. Yeah. And did that surprise any of you? Because it seemed like such a, like a like a tight story, that this seemed like there's this, the, the, this you know, play so with the, the thing, with the, the camera. Th- and... The thing with storyboards, again, especially with stuff that is very very complicated, stunt work and stuff, it really helps so everyone is on the same page and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of discussion. But if you're someone who can sit down and go, okay, I know. In my mind, this is kind of how I'm seeing this. I mean, if you go out on a commercial shoot for Taco Bell or Taco whatever, local taco establishment, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be some kind of stand-up. You know, okay, I need an establishing shot. Mm-hmm. Let's go and shoot the food monthly specials. Let's show somebody friendly <laughs> handing the food over mm-hmm. and then wide shot, right? You don't need to storyboard that out. Mm-hmm. It's very mundane, but you don't need to storyboard that out. Mm-hmm. So for someone like Steve McQueen... Because of his background, because of his um, art idea, he's probably running all this through his mind anyway. If he does location scouting, which I'm sure he does, Mm -hmm. he probably has in his mind where these actions occur so that when they get there on set that day, he can quickly get into the blocking of the scene without saying, okay, everybody, this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. this, this This movie is not one that needs a lot of stunt work or special special effect, these kinds of things. So, yeah, he could probably get away without doing storyboards uh, from this. But especially for younger filmmakers like you, I think storyboarding <laughs> is still very valuable yeah. because if you don't have everything in your mind and a set is a very busy place, if you don't have some kind of list or something that says, here are all the shots that I need to get, you're going to get to the edit room and say, oh, wait a minute. We forgot this shot. How could we forget this shot? Right. So that's what storyboards mm-hmm. and shot lists are there for. Yeah. Uh, so there was this conversation 
that kind of surrounded 12 Years a Slave about um, depicting horrible acts in a manner that is visually, uh, I mean, I mean, beautiful. I mean, I, I think this is an incredibly well shot film. You like, you like movies with naked people, don't you? (laughs) No, it just happens. Uh, (laughs) Uh no, I think, I think really, um, because that besides naked people is, uh, because that scene right at the beginning, you're talking about something that's artful. That scene where they're in the in the yard washing themselves, everybody's washing themselves, mm-hmm. men and women, the slaves, uh, in Washington D.C., is so well staged, is so well, you know, you're not looking at except for one uh, side shot of a breast that you see because of the way the woman is standing. It is super tastefully done for mm. full nudity in a full shot like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's really, really well. Done. I mean, I mean, I think the cinematography in this film is in general, when you get down into Louisiana, I mean, it's a beautiful place. I mean, they captured it on film just wonderfully with the, like the, I don't know what those things are called, like weeping willows or whatever those trees with the long, like flowing branches are. And, and I mean, even the marshes and like, uh, when Solomon is rowing mm-hmm. his, his logs through the swamps, oh, I yeah, mean, it's, it's, so well it's done. beautifully yeah. done. And so, People were like, well, it's not traditional to show such horrible things in not, like, dank, gray, horrible things. It's like, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just never even thought about that. Is that anything you thought about, Rodrigo? Like, how can you depict such horrible things and such... I mean, it, it sounds weird to say it beautiful, but when you're talking about the nature of yeah, how they got sounds, on a yeah, film, even- it is beautiful. Yeah, even even just to say it, it sounds weird, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, well, there's a couple of things, right? So first off, the locations and, and the beauty of it, um, you will see in a lot of movies and especially in a, like in a lot of narratives, this uh, theme that uh, humans are terrible to each other and nature doesn't actually care. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you got I don't know if you've ever read the Red Badge of Courage. Um, I think I have. But uh it's a yeah. It's a book about uh, the Civil War, mm-hmm. and like a lot of the battle sequences or whatever end with like basically the book tells you like pans up to like how like the sun is shining and there's like birds chirping and like nothing cares, <laughs> nothing cares that humans are killing each other. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got the sense of that from this. It's like there's all these beautiful places and the, these horrible things are happening, um, but you know, kind of like the world continues to move forward even though all this terrible stuff is happening. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, you know, it's, uh, there is a beauty to cruelty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's something that is very kind of deep and primal to people and something that people don't like to talk about. But, you know, there is something beautiful to someone crying. There is something beautiful to someone being hurt. There's a humanness. There's a realness. There's a rawness to it. And to um, to polish it and make it, you know, glossy and shiny um, kind of gives you... It's like a, a terrible thing in a beautiful presentation... Mm. Or a beautiful thing in a terrible presentation, depending on how you want to look at it. And it's it's something that allows you to that that basically gets the material past you. 
You know, if gory things are happening, a lot of people will look away. But if terrible things that should be gory are happening in a in an interesting and beautiful shot, people are much more likely to see, you know, that spray of blood. That's that the one I keep when, thinking about. Yeah, that happens when Patsy gets hit. Like, I just like that really stuck with me. It's like it looked fantastic mm-hmm. and it was horrendous, mm-hmm. you know. And there's just something to that. There's, again, a, a realness to it being presented, even in such a, like, I don't know, like, um, rendered way, in such a yeah. um, thoroughly cleaned up way. Mm-hmm. Rather, I mean, Rodrigo kind of touched on it, but do, do you think the presentation of acts like this with, you know, cicadas chirping in the background and the sun out and the sky perfect blue makes these acts more real than the the drudginess that we'd maybe seen in other films so a lot of a lot of scholars have pointed that this film is very historically accurate to what yeah. was going on and uh i i never lived in louisiana but i have lived in the south and um there is this very sereneness to the country uh of the south where that is what it is it's very lazy i mean there are there's a whole scene in there where uh mcqueen specifically points out that Here's the sound of just nature for like, I thought it's a minute or something like mm-hmm. that, where it's just, you're hearing the sounds of nature, mm-hmm. nobody else, just nature. Yeah. You're not hearing people talking. You're not hearing horses. You're not hearing, uh, people being beaten or anything that's going on. It's just, this is nature. So there is some ser- serenity to, mm-hmm. to that. So I'm guessing we didn't hear any music. I don't remember any like music during those moments where like Patsy is being whipped. Um, so to, just hear nature's sound kind of goes back to what Rodrigo said a moment ago of nature don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the cicadas aren't going to stop just because something intense is happening. Yeah. And I think that again, makes it very, very real. And probably again, one of the reasons why among other things, the, the, the atrocities that, uh, that he went through, um, make this very historically accurate from mm-hmm. that standpoint. In comic books, um, they have an effect that's sometimes referred to as a kill shot. And what they'll do is they'll do a kind of a, a dark outline. All you see is an outline. You don't see anything. You don't see anyone being hurt. But then they put a red overlay color on the shot to let you know that something bad has happened. And there was a time in an issue of Fantastic Four where the writer specifically said, do not use this effect because it's conditioned us, just like the editing has conditioned us, to feel like we know where this narrative is going. And I think that by shaking it up, by taking those terrible acts and not giving us, you know, dun dun scary cellos in the background or not making it dark or not making it feel like a horror movie. It kind of overrides that tendency that my brain at least has to kind of anticipate the narrative to try and say, okay, now they're going to do this and I know what's going to happen now. You kind of get surprised by moments in this film. You know, the moment where Fassbender finally loses it, where he flips out and he's like, you know, his his very favorite, he's now going to have someone else beat her. But he's, you know, reached the end of what he believes to be, you know, his uh, patience. That moment 
didn't feel like it was telegraphed for me. I think partly because of the way the film was put together. And then when we get to the horror of it, you expect them to pull away. You expect a discretion shot and you don't get it. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, by subverting that, by taking what we expect to see, what we as moviegoers and what we as television watchers, what we expect to see and then completely inverting it and showing it. Yeah. I think you could probably make the argument that, it, to a certain viewer, you might actually seem like you're glorifying those acts. But I think what you're really doing, it, like you said, is you're heightening the reality of it to where it doesn't feel like we're watching a movie. It feels like, oh, this just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole whipping sl- uh, scene just had me bothered for the rest of the rest yeah. of the day yeah i was because I it's was it's held it's held lynch. in that one shot right mm-hmm. i mean for the most part uh, there's like four or five cracks of the whip where you see that blood spray go out yeah. and it's done in a deep in a deep focus to where not only are you seeing patsy but you're also seeing solomon in the background and his reaction to this and then in between them is this spray of blood and it's not constantly cutting back and forth to a whip across the skin and the skin opening up. I mean, you see that see uh, obviously later, but I mean, it's not like fast cut back, fast mm-hmm. cut reaction to Epps licking his lips or being crazy stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just so freaking yeah. powerful and emotional that I don't know that you could, I mean, if you did it any other way, I think it would lose its impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I am scared of Sarah Paulson. There are a few actors and actresses in the world who terrify me. And Sarah Paulson as uh, Mary Epps is just like super villain scary to me. Mm-hmm. Everything she does, every move she makes really, really conveys a lot of fear for me. So the moment where she's the one yeah, yeah. who suggests that Solomon be, you know, that really is kind of telling for me. You you use that actress's frighteningness to your advantage as a filmmaker, and that was pretty brilliant. There was a thing I, I, I haven't... I'd never caught until my most recent viewing, and that is when uh, Solomon is leaving Epps' plantation, and uh, um, we're, we're focused in on Solomon, and he just said goodbye to Patsy. Right. And then in the background, we see her just drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd never noticed that until this viewing. Um, yeah. Do you wow. think that Patsy died? Because from now that I realize it, I think, oh, she was only being held alive by Solomon and he left and now she just died. I actually read it as just her collapsing yeah, from co- despair. Yeah, me basically. too, as mm-hmm. despair. The one person, you know, who... I don't because it, she, would, I mean, she could have died many. T- she could have died many times. In fact, sure. Um, before I, I expected her to at least have killed herself mm. um, at some point because once Solomon said he wasn't going to do it, um, I really expected that scene after the after the whipping where he was breaking his violin mm. to be a scene where it's revealed that he went ahead and killed her anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't. I mean, it's different. So I think that, yeah, mostly out of despair is what we see her falling down mm-hmm. from at the end. And um, so like we talked about this earlier. We never know really how much time is passing in the film. Twelve years. Well, I mean, in between. Us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Epps ships all of his slaves off to a different plantation because right. um, he has uh, bugs and they ruin his crop for a while. 
And then by the time they get back, uh, Epps has this new child that he's all lovey-lovey on. Um, and since we don't know how much time has passed, right. um, I, I, I think we're supposed to be kind of led to assume that might be Patsy's child. Yeah. Uh, but again, we don't know how much time has passed because that is a child. Well, that's so, three or four. So here's the thing. They are sent away at a time when the plantation is um, going through a tough spot yeah. financially because they don't have the crops. Mm-hmm. So they go away and they do some stuff with uh, another slave owner uh, who is the judge, I guess is his name. Um, when they come back, notice that the grounds aren't as kept up that mm-hmm. we see Epps and he is walking around in his bare feet. He no is you, basically no pants on. And he is with this young child, and you do not see Mary Epps anywhere for a long time. In fact, from the time they return until we get to the scene with the whips, we don't see her. And my my thought was when, when that happened was, oh, it's been a long time. She got fed up with him and left him, mm-hmm. and that's why he's gone off the deep end and has really become wacky, c- cuckoo, mm-hmm. insane. And I, this, and this, and now suddenly, especially when he's walking around with the, uh, the thing tied up on his head uh, uh, yeah. for the sweat, I'm like, this man is totally insane. And that makes me scared for everyone around him because we don't know when he's going to snap and just start killing people. I did not read that as Patsy's child. Okay. I read that as Patsy's replacement. Right. And that was the that, weird part, too, that I, when he's like, hey, let's go see if there's anything that you want. She's like, candy. He's like, oh, yes, I think we've got some candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really creepy. Yeah, it's incredibly creepy. And, it, you know, it, 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 it felt to me like him grooming his, his new favorite replacement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was really disgusting as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so Lupita plays Patsy, and she won uh, Best Supporting Actress at the Oscar, Oscars last year for her role. Um, what I was fascinated to find is that she was doing so much research on her character that the scene where we see her making uh, the dolls, mm-hmm. she taught herself how to do that mm. because it was something her character did. Mm-hmm. And her teaching herself how to do that um, allowed for that scene because they didn't know she could do that. They taught herself. Uh, so they filmed her doing that and then did the uh, shot of of Mary Epps of looking out over the balcony to try to uh, better set up the weird triangle of loves with Epps at the top uh, that was happening there. So I just thought that was like, I mean, just one of those like impromptu kind of things that you kind of just discover while you're making the film based on your, 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 your talent, just going like super far into their character uh, study to learn a completely new skill. Good acting. Like I said, if, if if there's nothing else about this film, to remember beyond the story is how incredible all the acting is mm-hmm. and what everyone put into their into their roles. Even though the roles may be really small, like Paul Giamatti, mm-hmm. uh, even though the roles may be despicable and horrid, like Fassbender's character, people. I you know I was thinking when I was watching this, uh, especially at the beginning where he's in the uh, prison uh, at the beginning in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I could I would not feel comfortable just taking on the role of one of these horrible white people because it would make me feel so uncomfortable about it that, you know, you have to give a lot more credit to the actors who who took on this challenge and were Mm -hmm. able to pull it off successfully. Now, I don't know if they all had issues afterwards, but I certainly would. 
I I know I joked that this is a funny movie, but there is one of my favorite SNL bits based off of this is when um I mean the the skit is having uh, a bunch of white people uh read for the parts and um oh uh one one of oh crap Jay Farrow uh, on SNL is running the camera so he's in the room just looking at them as they're supposed to be all these slave owners yeah it's quite funny. <laughs> That yeah, is. Yeah, it's a good. Uh, so, kind of, we wrap up discussion on this film. Uh, I, I mean, I chose this last because I thought. Uh, I mean, I think Steve McQueen uh, is gonna make some of the best movies uh, over the next decade. Uh, I think when I think of all the films that I've watched in uh, this new, you know, this new century of film, uh, I think Twelve Years is the the best thing I've seen um, since, I mean, the, the, the new century. I think this is like the film. In the last 15 years, this is the best film. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think like this is the film like people are like striving to be. Uh, I, I, I think it's just phenomenal. Uh, just like final thoughts from you guys. Well, I mean, from an award standpoint, uh, best picture, best supporting actress, uh, best screenplay or adapted screenplay, all good. I'm. I just. I think. Um, I'm gonna, not even going to try to mispronounce his name. Chuatel. Chuatel. Uh, I think he Things did a fantastic won. job. I, I don't know. I don't know who beat him out. It was um, Matthew McConaughey for no, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. No. Well, gosh. I don't know. He he did a fantastic yeah, job in this, and I and I think. I think everybody involved in this is has got a lot of of good things mm-hmm. yet to come. Um, it was a good movie, a very powerful movie. Uh, I think everyone should watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you need to be, and this is the reason why I haven't watched it, <laughs> because I remember when you first watched it and you came over and you were talking about it, this is one of those movies where you really have to be in a mindset to be gut punched mm-hmm. again and again and again mm-hmm. uh, and to be humbled again and again and again. Um, this is not something that you're going to want to sit down with a bowl of popcorn and a beer and watch on a, hey, movie night, wife, let's watch yeah. this together. This is something that you really have to be in a mindset for. And I think that adds to the impact of the story. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Matthew? Ask me the question that Stephen always asks you about uh, your wife. Did your wife watch it? Yes. Oh, what did she think? She was homesick and fell asleep halfway through it. Uh, but That's mostly my stance. <laughs> This movie, I, I have kind of a similar reaction to this movie that I did a last week's movie. I'm glad we watched it, and I intend to never do that again. <laughs> you, wouldn't watch, was, you wouldn't watch this movie again? I mean, I wouldn't watch this movie out of enjoyment. I, mean, I, I wouldn't watch this movie for enjoyment purposes. Yeah. It's one of those movies that I'm really glad that I got to experience, and I'm really, mm. really glad that they got to make it with the fidelity they got to make it with. I understand, you know, why people say this is a wonderful movie, and I am glad that I saw it. I just, man, I would have to be really in a mood to be punched in the face. And (laughs) that doesn't happen as often as you might think, even though I have known Steven for over a quarter century. Hey, I'll punch you in the face anytime you want. And that's the point, Steve. (laughs) Thank you for explaining the joke. That's a rookie mistake. You hate to see that. But, yeah, it's on 
uh, one of my movie channels right now, and I've been meaning to watch it, and I've been meaning to watch it, and I've been meaning to watch it. Today I finally did, and I'm like, man, I'm glad I didn't just catch this on some Friday night at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And have to try and process this all by myself. You know, it's it's definitely a big one. This is a film that you have to bite off a lot, and it, it almost turned out to be more I could chew, even, you know, knowing that we're doing it for the show. So uh, definitely it's a film that I would recommend once, <laughs> and, you know, I again, I'm glad I saw it. And Rodrigo. Uh, 12 Years a Slave is a well-shot, well-put-together movie with a great story. But more importantly, uh, it's a story that – or it's a movie that fulfills a greater role uh, in the United States. Um, there's a reason why you see a big slavery movie come out every, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. And it's because the conversation about slavery and about racism and about how this country started up um, is a conversation that we're still having to this day. Um, sometimes uh, that conversation needs to be a punch in the gut and it needs to be something that's pretty so that um, and, and it's pretty and Oscar baity and nice so that basically so that white people will go see it um, and so that they can be at least a little bit appropriately punched in the gut. And that's OK. Um, the I think the the moments where this movie really shines in that sense are the moments where we see and we sit there and we see the hypocrisy of the slave owners who are preaching. Right. Mm hmm. And to the same degree, I can imagine just so many people, so, so many people walking out of this movie and not recognizing the third layer of that. Not just that here were some slave owners preaching about the slavery of the Jews to their slave owners, but that people get out of that, people who follow that faith, people who follow those teachings, get out of that and continue to kind of perpetuate some of the stuff, not as slavery, but as basically hate. Mm -hmm. um, and I think 12 Years a Slave is clever about it, maybe a little bit too clever about it to the point where people don't necessarily catch it. <laughs> but um, I think it's good. And I think it's a movie that uh, people should see. I think it's, you know, it's our generation's uh, slavery movie. And I think, you know, everybody who is either black or white in the United States should definitely sit down to see it. Awesome. So uh, that's it, Stephen. That's Congratulations, it. Zach. That's the end of it. I think you've grown. Thank you. You had that growth like spurt yeah. a few years ago. Well, he yeah, was 12 when we started. Yeah. Um, but um, I hope that this was a worthwhile experience for everyone, not just you. Yeah. Which I hope it was a worthwhile Oh, experience. it was one of the best. Um, I'm hoping it's also a worthwhile experience for Matthew and uh, Rodrigo. Going through this exercise, I was into it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't watch movies, and I watched two hundred movies. Yeah. It wasn't two hundred? Is like a, what 90. is it? Ninety two? I think at the Something at like the that. at the end. Well, um, one of them was one of them was that D.W. Griffith thing, which counts as like five movies. <laughs> But I really hope that the listeners got got something out of this. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I you know, we sit here so often, and Matthew got jumped into a conversation. Uh, earlier when he joined in the call where I was going off on these students these days, these kids these days don't don't have this appreciation or understanding. Rotten kids is what they are. And 
you know, even even today, sitting down and and telling people that 12 Years a Slave or Tree of Life or whatever is an important movie for whatever reason. I think if it doesn't have Adam Sandler doing a fart joke, <laughs> a lot of people aren't going to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's a shame because I think the medium of film, the visual moving medium, whether that be television, video, film, whatever, uh, I think is is really important to mm-hmm. to tell stories, to share stories, to share thoughts and ideas. And I'm, I'm glad we did this. Uh, me too. I mean – uh, to say that this podcast has uh, changed my life, I I wouldn't say is too much of an understatement. Good. I mean, this is yeah, this has been uh, a fulfilling experience. Sometimes uh, it got old. Like, damn it, I'm busy, but I gotta watch another movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that happens. But you know, we push through it. But you said those fun. But you've said that some of these movies have really changed your perspective on life. Oh God, and yeah. your place in the world and those kinds of things. Oh, and hopefully yeah. also technically have given you ideas on how to improve your craft and be better oh, at whatever that you do. Certainly, and yeah, I mean, uh, I think film is one uh, of the places that is almost the most accessible for expressing new ideas through art mm-hmm. uh, and to uh, get people to think outside of their own experiences and to try to uh, get to a better place to empathize with people that are different with them. Right. I think uh, that is one of the major powers of film. And this, I mean, this podcast certainly opened um, my eye, my mind to that process in just the uh, power of film and, really just challenged me to uh, look at things that I never would have before. I mean, I was watching, uh, uh, was it Stan Braca like avant-garde ex- experimental, ex- uh, experimental films yeah. the other day. I mean, just crazy stuff that I never would have delved into, but uh, just looking at film from a medium to convey ideas or as a, like a purely artistic uh, a medium, I mean, this podcast is responsible for that. Good. Well, I hope that listeners sat through this and also watched all the films uh, that we did, or <laughs> yeah. maybe they've already seen them. Who knows? Yeah. Some of some of the people out there definitely have seen a lot of these films um, multiple times, uh, but I hope they got something out of it too. But I also think that there's something, there's something to the thing of sit down, watch this now, shut up and we'll talk about it later is also kind of important. Yeah, and I plan on doing that with my kids. It's like, absolutely. okay, time for you guys to sit down and watch this movie, shut up and be still and, I'll be back in two hours or I will sit and watch yeah. this with you and we can experience this together and then we can talk about what this means. Yeah, because to to watch a film is one thing, but then to get to discuss it and break it down in uh, technical aspects or, you know, what the subplot is, or what the film is trying to say, is something entirely different. And I mean, I think it, it's, it's a space that's needed. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things about art is that it, Somebody creates something, but then there has to be that conversation mm-hmm. that closes this loop. Yeah. Uh, and so the conversation, I think, is really important. So this sounds like a little bit of a downer moment, listeners. <laughs> kind uh, of is. It kind of this, is kind of sad. This I'm is sad. the, this was supposed to be uh, the very last Zach on Film episode. Yeah. But so many of you, so many of you have been like, oh, we don't want this show to end. We want it to continue. And so we don't want to just continue doing the exact same thing again and again and again and again. 
So things are changing. Things are changing a little bit. And um, we've put, if you're a VIP, we've previewed a, a development of this new phase of Zach on Film uh, starting at? next week. Where we've was done this that at, at the, the members.majorspoilers.com. Okay. Major Spoilers VIPs. Uh, but then we put out a you know a preview for everyone to listen to last week, right? Right. For everyone to get a sense for what this new format uh, is going to be, and it's certainly developed from the first initial idea, which is kind of like movie news, right? Uh, to this more, I think, natural transition from what we do, what we have been doing for like the last two years, into what this is. We'll be um, um, like springboarding news into larger topics on film, which we've certainly done. Uh, in past episodes, but just to, to bring it uh, more home to what is happening um, currently in film. So what about these people that want movie discussion? A good thing. That's still going to happen. Um, films are going to continue to be out and be released week after week, and there's yeah. going to be some really good ones and some ones that we're going to want to talk about. So we're not getting rid of talking about individual films as new films pop up that are on our radar um, I'll watch them, and we'll get other people to watch them. Uh, you might hear different voices on the show. Not everyone not might not be in every episode, um, but everyone will still be around, and we'll still be talking about films. And and I think the nice thing about this too is that we kind of turn the reins now over to Zach. We've kind of given him these <laughs> yeah. last four episodes to kind of lead the discussion and to pick the films and those kinds of things. He's producing this whole show on his own now. He's responsible for finding people to talk to, picking mm-hmm. topics. Um, we have said that as far as movies go, I think at least once a month we're going to sit down, uh, and, yeah. and talk a movie. Yeah. Um, so I think that'll be, I think that'll be interesting. So it'll be a ne- next big phase for Zach as he moves from student to producer. <laughs> yeah. It'll be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, you know, part of me will certainly miss this format. Um, but we've really, I think we've taken it a really long ways and done, uh, a whole lot with it. And so it is kind of exciting to see what this new phase is going to look like. Excellent. Anything else, Zach? No, I just hope everyone has en- has enjoyed the ride as much as I have and will uh, you know, stick it out with me as we uh, change the show up a little bit. Yes. Uh, yes. So, Con- Congratulations, Zach. Oh, I look thank forward you. to writing your coattails from <laughs> <laughs> And I'm now like, you are a man. Yay. Uh, so head over to Majorspoilers.com where... You can find this podcast posting page and give your thoughts about 12 Years a Slave, our conversations we've had, or um, just anything on the Zach on film that we have discussed this episode. While you're there, click the Amazon.com link, where you could certainly buy 12 Years a Slave on, slave on Blu-ray, I'm sure, or any other Loaded films. Loaded with extras. Oh, yeah. Or any of the films we've talked about in the last two years. It's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to major spoilers to help keep the ship afloat. Uh, so that's it. Next week, we'll be talking about something completely different on Zach on Film. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Whether you're looking to build a website for your business, your hobby, your podcast, or just for fun, Pair Networks is your go-to web hosting partner. Not only do we have the lowest domain price in the industry, starting at just 11 bucks, we've got hundreds of stunning website templates to help you stand out from the crowd. You're not a techie? Not a problem. With our easy DIY site builders, you can launch your impressive website without any technical know-how. And when it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. P-A-I-R dot com.